Does it seem to be? Yeah. Okay, so we had a couple of leftover questions. Uh, right here. And we'll just have two, one here, one here. I was thinking about sometimes the value of not even saying ouch, even though you acknowledge the feeling in yourself. Um, like yesterday I felt my wife said something and I, my feelings were hurt and I thought for the benefit of our emotional connection I should say something. <coughs> but then I, I sort of felt a compassion for the stress she's under right now. And I also considered she may be reacting to some unloving ways I was being. And it seemed to work, and it just, in that instance, I was able to act lovingly. And it seems like, since ouch, like all experiences, is very transitory, sometimes it's just better just to let it go. So. You always have that option, yeah. okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, let's have this question and then this. Yeah, right here. Yeah, I was also thinking the context of um, vowing not to retaliate, but then also this notion of compassion, and that sometimes compassion, for, I think, forgets to uh, express healthy anger, express anger in a healthy way. We sort of think anger is all bad. Mm. And I speak personally, it's a struggle of mine to actually speak anger in a healthy way, uh, uh, compassionately, but then also to, you know, let, let go and surrender as well. So I wonder yeah. if you'd speak to that. Okay, so the um, anger is expressed in a healthy way when it doesn't include blame and put down, retaliation, censure of others, when it's simply the expression of your own feeling. And the dictionary definition of anger is displeasure at an injustice. You perceive that something was done that was unfair to you, so you say, ouch, you speak up, you express your anger, but you do it as a way of communicating your own feeling rather than trying to demand that the other person change something. So you can see how this would be a spiritual practice because the ego wants to make that demand. And you also do it in a way that is not trying to hurt the other or get back at him. You're just um, expressing what you feel. And we're not used to this. We haven't been trained in this way. So that pure ouch would be the one that does not include blame, resentment, or retaliation. Built into the ouch is a letting go. You're letting go of your own feeling and you're letting go of the usual way of dealing with those who have hurt you. So I guess an example would be, um, like in the example of the being cut off in traffic, the, the anger and wanting the other person to get a ticket, the ouch comes with the tail on it, T-A-I-L, of may he be hurt. Whereas the other response of may he learn to drive more safely, may he not harm anyone, that comes from the wish for transformation. So instead of what goes around comes around, we would abandon that superstition, what goes around comes around, 
is the ego's wish that they get theirs. That would change to may what goes around come around in a way that transforms us. May what goes around come around in a way that transforms us is better than may what, go, what goes around comes around. Okay, one final, Nancy. Uh, wait, we have the... Oh, well, go ahead then. Yeah, and then we'll have Nancy. <laughs> my, my question's a little off topic. It's more broad yeah. course of the day, but listening to your teachings today, you've been speaking about relationships between individuals and um, structures, family, religion, mm -hmm. and not once did you mention a spouse or a significant other, and my question is, is that by design or by omission? Well, I'm trying to stay away, I'm trying to stay on the topic and not go into my other topic, which is relationships. That was our last day talk here. I was on that topic. So I've been purposely trying to keep, you know, keep bringing it back to this topic. But obviously it certainly applies in individual relationships also. Okay, Nancy, and then that's our final one. She's right here. I know, I'm just going to uh, This relates to just what you said just before the other gentleman and also to the beginning when you talked about the void and uh, being out there. And I, I just had this thing in my mind that has been going on for a long time that in my family situation, I, I feel like I'm Pluto. Uh, you know, I've been... Uh, way out there. Way out there and not even included in the solar system anymore <laughs> and um but yet pluto still exists pluto, pluto hasn't changed its orbit with even though it's far out there and i guess it's because i've sort of walked this path that you were in buddhism is leading for a while without anybody else in this solar in this solar system but it what happened is that i had this shift instead of feeling like i'm the rejected Pluto out there, maybe this Pluto now has a vantage point, if I shift it, I s it, that I can see all the difficulties, the disharmony, the sadness, whatever is going on in this other, in the solar system that I feel out, out of, and maybe by being, you know, no self and uh, not reacting, I can be of somewhere down the line of benefit. Makes sense. Thank you, Nancy. Okay. Um, during the break, someone also brought up this idea about a, a better way to express this idea of the our vow not to retaliate, which you also brought up. It can be a way of shutting ourselves down and backing down. We don't want to go that way. It's not, oh, I'm not going to do anything because, uh, uh, forget it. It's not like that. This is an active commitment to a new kind of power. I've made an active commitment to a new kind of power. This new kind of power does not include retaliation. It includes speaking up and saying, ouch, it includes trying to get amends and restitution. 
It includes dialogue of some kind in which I put myself out there assertively. It does not mean that I'm just shutting down and giving up. So it's an, it's an empowerment. So we just want to be sure we understand this. So it's not turn the other cheek and let them hit you again. It's um, I, I'm coming from a place of power that's different from the way that the world usually operates. Does this make sense to everybody? Okay, so the final topic I want to go to is also one that's highly spiritual, and it's one that Nancy just alerted, uh, just uh, acknowledged, the idea of grace. And she mentioned Pluto. Plutus is the god of riches. Plutocracy is ruled by the rich. <laughs> Familiar? Uh, so Plut Plutus is the god of riches. But Zeus, king of the gods, blinded him so that he would give these riches without paying attention to merit. Interesting. Get the idea? He would give these riches not based on merit, but freely. And when something like that happens, moments in which you access a wisdom or strength that you know you didn't already have in your ordinary bag of tricks, you say to yourself, gee, where did that come from? That was pretty good. That's a visit from using Plutus as a metaphor. That's a visit from the blind God who is freely giving you the wisdom and the strength. And this in the religious world is called grace. This word in Latin means free, as in gratis. It also means thanks, as in gratitude. So our only reaction to grace is gratitude. And we can only open ourselves to grace as a, something that comes to us freely. And um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it can sometimes seem that the way we move out of our ego into an enlightened way of living is through a series of practices, such as mindfulness and loving kindness. This makes it seem that we are meriting the change because of the effort that we are putting in. But what grace does is it humbles the ego to say, no, it isn't all based on the efforts that you put in. They certainly help, but you are also getting help from 
a source that you could think of as deep in your own psyche or in the universe itself or from a higher power, whoever you want to look at it, that something else is kicking in that um, adds a certain power to the work that you're doing and gives you a leg up in doing it. The main way that this grace shows itself is through synchronicity. The unusual, meaningful coincidences that happen in the course of life that lead you on a path you never would have taken if those coincidences had not happened. So something is at work that seems to um, take us to new places. It doesn't all depend on us, which would be the ego style. And I might put it this way. Something we know not what is always at work. We know not how. To make us more than we are now. To make the world more than it is yet. Something we know not what is always at work. That's grace in the world. Something we know not what is always at work. And what, what is it doing? What kind of work is it doing? It's upgrading our efforts so that they can access the highest wisdom possible and the most strength that we're possibly capable of. And when we stay in touch with this, and when we come from this position of gratitude for the great graces we have received, it does something to tame our arrogant ego. Everybody follow? So if you read the um, Iliad and the Odyssey, for instance, um, because this is not a Christian concept, this is an ancient concept in the human psyche, this is an archetype. What is the archetype? It's the archetype of the assisting force. You saw the assisting force take three forms in The Wizard of Oz. It came as the scarecrow that brings special knowledge, comes as the cowardly lion that ultimately brings courage, and it comes as the tin man who ultimately brings heart to her venture. So assisting forces come to help us. That's the archetype of grace. And it happens in every single person's life in one way or the other. The more we acknowledge and show the gratitude, the more it appears. And most of us have never been uh, brave enough to do the other part of this, which would be the ultimate meaning of prayer, which is simply to ask for graces. May I receive the grace. You don't have to say, oh, God, give me grace. You can say, may I receive the grace to be able to walk through this with wisdom and strength. 
in uh, the Catholic tradition. There's a, uh, the Virgin Mary is a, is a Bodhisattva figure because she keeps returning to earth to help us. So uh, she appeared to a, a French nun, St. Catherine Labore. Uh, and uh, when she appeared, she appeared, uh, she stood in the, in the apparition, she stood in the position of the ancient goddesses who give graces, facing you straight ahead with her hands outstretched, both palms facing you. On each finger, she had a ring, gold rings. Some of these rings were shooting off light, and other rings were on her fingers, but no light was coming from them. So St. Catherine asked Mary, why is it that some of the, your rings don't uh, have any rays of light coming from them? She said, these rings are the graces that I give. The ones that have the light coming from them are the graces that people asked me for. The ones with no light are the ones that I want to give, but nobody has dared ask me. Isn't that beautiful? We don't take it literally as if that actual conversation happens, but, but we do take it metaphorically that the grace, which is pictured as female, this word in Latin is feminine, gratia, that this uh, feminine power wants to give us much more grace than we ever thought we could have. So it's a wonderful realization to, uh, to act from a place that says, uh, many more graces can come to me and through me if only I keep opening myself. So this takes us back to if we think that truth is in a certain box and not a form of evolution, we're not open to the graces because we've got it all locked up. So the more open you are, the more likely are you to meet up with the blind God who wants to enrich you. Make sense to everybody? It's uh, one of the most beautiful features of spirituality. I can't imagine anything more wonderful than to have this sense inside ourselves that there are forces in the universe that are assisting us. And we, we remain aware that there are also forces that are afflicting us. But even they ultimately serve to show us our strength. Simple example. In the story of the Wizard of Oz, the afflicting force, the witch, the evil witch, wicked witch of the West, tries to afflict or does succeed in afflicting Dorothy. But when Dorothy overcomes her, she finds new strength. 
because the afflicting force ultimately assisted her in finding her strength because it didn't overcome her. It showed her that she had more to, uh, she had more to her than she imagined a little girl from Kansas might have. In fact, when she threw the water on the witch to protect the, protect the uh, scarecrow, uh, as the witch is melting, she says, and I quote, Oh, what a world, what a world. Who would have thought a little girl like you could destroy all my beautiful power? Beautiful power meant for evil. So, so, that, so what seemed afflicting, even that turned out to be a grace. Because without that, she would have never found out how much power she had. Everybody follow? And of course, these are all metaphors, not to be taken literally, but uh, they tell us something about what I said right at the beginning, the farther reaches that are in this human psyche, that there's something bigger going on here than can be accounted for by our height and weight and what's written on our license. Because we have these, what Shakespeare says, immortal longings in us. And these immortal longings are um, somehow um, finding ways to be fulfilled when we continually place ourselves in that open position to receive them. So... Um, so I guess I would like to wind up, um, and I'd like to share a beautiful poem by St. John of the Cross, uh, a mystical, uh, one of the mystical saints of the Catholic tradition. And this poem uh, interestingly combines uh, the three main monotheistic religions in this way. First of all, St. John himself was the grandson of Jews who were forced to become Catholic. And when he came along, he was a committed Catholic. So he's actually Jewish. Secondly, he's of the Christian tradition. Third, he was in a dungeon, so hence the title of his book, The Dark Night of the Soul. He was in the void. While he was in this dungeon one night, since he lived in the part of Spain that had many Islamic people, he heard an Islamic young man walking by, singing an Arabic love song, which has words like what you'll hear me recite. He took the words of the love song and he wrote a poem which he called The Dark Night of the Soul. 
that reflects the relationship described in the, in the song being sung by the Islamic person. And then he himself is a Jew and a Christian. So kind of all comes together. But anyway, you can have your eyes opened or closed as you listen to this and um, try to kind of go with the images that it brings up and move along with what he's trying to say, which you will, it's very easy to understand. And it kind of sums up a lot of what we've been talking about, especially the grace part, which is, which as you will hear, he certainly meets up with, but he can only meet up with it in the dark. A great metaphor. Upon a deep, dark night, lit only by the anxiousness of love, O oh, venture of delight, with nobody in sight, I went abroad when all my house was hushed. In darkness, in disguise, in silence, up the secret stair I crept. Oh, happy enterprise, concealed from other eyes, while all my house at length in silence slept. Upon that lucky night, inscrutable to sight, I went without discerning, and with no other light except for that which in my heart was burning. It lit and led me through, more certain than the light of noonday clear, to where one waited near, whose presence well I knew, there where no other presence might appear. Oh, night that was my guide. Oh, darkness dearer than the morning's pride. Oh, night that joined the lover to the beloved bride, transfiguring them each into the other. Within my flowering breast, which only for himself entire I save, he sank into his rest, and all my gifts I gave, lulled by the airs with which the cedars wave. Over the ramparts, fanned, while the fresh wind was fluttering his tresses, with his serenest hand, my neck he wounded and suspended every sense with his caresses. Lost to myself, I stayed. My face upon my lover having laid. From all endeavor ceasing. And all my cares releasing. I tossed them among the lilies. There to fade. Thank you all.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.